Hello and welcome to this special edition in EG's Future of Real Estate series. The topic, the future of work, is so important that it's cameras on today. That's one of the many phrases that have moved into the professional vernacular over the last year. The future of work is also, of course, a topic that's evolving fast. So this, you'll be excited to hear, is the first of three editions that we'll be producing this year as we track progress at a critical time. It's also a topic where everyone has a view, and usually a strong one. I've watched the pendulum swing over the past year and a bit from panic over being at home to watching many people ask whether they ever needed an office in the first place. Today, that pendulum seems to have settled somewhere in the middle. If you're thinking about two days at home and three in the office as a solution for yourself and your team, you're probably not alone. But that's an assumption. And today we'll test that assumption and we'll hear from a panel who are managing their own firm's returns to work, working with clients on theirs, and even developing offices for businesses who may have more questions than answers around their future occupancy needs. Joining me are Amanda Lim, partner and head of flexible office solutions for Knight Frank, Alex Price, chief executive for the UK at Fiera Real Estate, James Shannon, chief product and technology officer from our partners today, Ascensis, and David Savage, partner with our other co-creator of this series, Charles Russell Speechleys. So David, I'll start with you. And I talked about that pendulum seeming to land in the middle of this debate, where we're thinking about a hybrid future and it's neither the office is dead, nor is it perhaps it will be back in the office full time. What do you think? I completely agree, Damien. It's, it's clearly going to be hybrid, but the question of course is, what does the hybrid mix look like by sector and indeed by individual organization within sector. So I guess I'm here wearing the hat for legal and perhaps for professional services. Um, and I think we are beginning to see a pretty clear picture emerging in our sector. And that picture is basically as follows. When you ask lawyers and law firm staff what they would like, they say they'd like the potential to work three or four days a week from home, one or two days a week in the office, largely for the things they consider important around collaboration, uh, and development of um, talent um, and law firm leaders um, uh, uh, are looking to land broadly in the hybrid split two three two agile working from home days and probably three days in the office and that's being expressed as 40 percent or 50 percent and many of the major firms have come out and confirmed their position uh, in that sort of space of course there were always virtual law firms before the pandemic and there'll be one or two firms that, you know, looking at issues around talent acquisition, position themselves as outliers to that norm, which I think will land in that 40 to 50 percent space. We ourselves at Charles Russell Speechleys haven't made an external announcement as to where we think our agile policy will land. Our plan is to work with our people as they come back to office over the course of this summer and into the autumn. Our summer occupation will be essentially one of encouragement to be in the office for some of the working week, um, but it will be an entirely sort of voluntary process. And then come September, we're kicking off a more formal agile working pilot, and that will be based around teams having come together to create effectively their own agile working charter for their team. We'll run that program for about six months, and then we'll take the long-term decisions around how we want to occupy and use our offices in the medium to long-term future. 
That's really interesting. And it's really it's clearly very well thought through and quite well advanced and probably more so than um, than I've got the impression in the conversations I've had up to this point. Do you think professional services and the law, David, is perhaps leading the way here? I think professional services, um, it's no secret that you know law firms have been trading well through the pandemic. Um, we have lots of metrics on our people and our performance and um, you know, people have responded incredibly professionally and um, responsibly to the circumstances that we've all found ourselves in. And um, in many ways, I think that's opened up the space for this discussion. Uh, and I think, you know, when you look at, for example, trust statistics, um, you know, managements, whether it's of corporates or, or in professional services, but particularly in professional services, before the pandemic, you know, we had agile working policies. Most of them were calibrated at one day a week. A proportion of people utilized them. Um, but perhaps there was always a slight suspicion and, and there were perhaps trust issues there. I think for the vast majority of leaders and indeed for the vast majority of staff, those, those trust issues have uh, gone away. That doesn't mean that everybody is you know, well orientated to working predominantly from a home working environment. Um, you know, this ultimately comes down to individuals as well as businesses. Um, but I think what we do have is a platform now, and we obviously have had a massively accelerated digital skills acquisition uh, piece as well. You know, we've done five years of change in 15 months, and that sets up new optionality that we didn't have um, pre-pandemic. And I think it's incumbent on both management and um, uh, 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 employees to, you know, land that well in a way that works for our businesses, creates a dividend, for individuals, but also for the business going forward. And I think, you know, people have just been amazed at how well even um, tasks like, you know, running large corporate transactions have been capable of being progressed um, whilst effectively operating with a thousand offices as, as we have for these last 15 months. Thank you. Amanda, we'll come back to clients and the, and the flex space in a moment, but let's stick with professional services um, briefly. And is Knight Frank's thinking similar? Yeah, very much so. I think we launched our pilot agile working programme actually probably six to nine months before COVID hit. So luckily we were already trialling it in, in the London team. Um, and then it basically just accelerated the program and brought it forward. So with what we do, I think naturally it's really difficult first to work from home. There are parts of the business that will find that easier. But, you know, like I said earlier, I was in the office yesterday because I had viewing tour to go on. Um, so I think it's moving towards a need for collaboration, need for, you know, social interaction within the teams, within the business, with the clients, for example. And, and what we've actually really learned through this whole process is we will continue with agile working, but um, it's also highlighted how important, you know, building new relationships is in a business like what we do. And that can't be done over Zoom. You can't do it over the screen. You know, you still need to meet people in, in person. And also bonding with with teammates and orientation for new starters. How do you train someone to do a job for new starters who've just sat behind a laptop and just looked at people on screen? So there, there are many elements that I think come into play here. But yes, we're moving forward with agile working as a business. But I think more on a needs basis 
than anything else. Okay, thank you. I've noticed people now get excited about a phone call if it's not a, a Zoom meeting or a, or a Teams meeting. But James, at the, at the tech end of the market, do, mm. you were nodding a lot there, but some of your peers uh, take a different view. Yes, I mean, um, certainly, um, you know, David and Amanda touched on many common aspects, I think, across all businesses, all, all walks of life. I mean, there's a yearning from a talent and, and retention perspective, from a cultural perspective, from a social perspective. Uh, I mean, clearly, you know, my, my personally, at a census for a technology company, um, I've got a very large team that's grown significantly through the pandemic. So a lot of resume onboarding, as, as you touched on. Um, and clearly, we're, we're very well set up from a product development perspective or the systems and, and, and working um, to support 100% remote you know, uh, product development. But you can't quite beat, um, you know, especially you know, for, for the younger, younger members of the team based in central London, who you know who haven't necessarily got the space around them, who, who need to get out of their, um, you know, their, their, their flats or apartments and then into an office and socialise and and be mentored uh, and, and all those you know that, that horrible term water cool water cooler moments or that drink after work whatever it might be um, those are all the things that, that I think we all miss um, and, and we sort of identify that and with a strong company culture um, that, that's very hard to maintain uh, and has been you know as time has gone on I think. Uh, and so I think everyone is desperate to to, to get back into in, into the office, and and certainly we're, you know we're going to you know, land as you've touched on in probably a, a sort of two to three or three to two type balance. Um, but you know it remains to be seen how that sort of uh, fleshes out across different parts of the business, because clearly you know we meet a lot of customers, and 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 obviously we're we're in the space business as well. So so that involves a lot of face to face time, but at the same time elements of the business and the technology side. A lot of the time, you know, need to be quiet, concentrating, you know, writing code. So it's very much horses for courses uh, for different parts of business, I think. And David talked about going from fairly elective to perhaps a little bit more prescriptive. Do you think it'll be the same for you? Um, I think that's something um, we're going to be we're going to be looking at and, and trialing. Um, whether it's you know clearly you know for business our size, we want consistency across the business, but at the same time, you have to recognise that different parts of the business required different levels of, of, of interaction and collaboration. Uh, I mean, clearly my team who are all about, you know, conceiving ideas and engaging and interacting with customers, uh, often often around a whiteboard, it's very difficult to replicate that, you know, in, in a digital environment. So, you know, you know my, my team have, have been probably one of the most frequently uh, from a product perspective in, in the office just to get to that old fashioned whiteboard, uh, just because you, you can't really replicate that. Um, so I think there are, there are certain teams who there's a natural um, motivation to get back in and collaborate to be effective um, and I think there are those parts of the business who actually relish the quiet time and actually uh, I don't want to go back to five days in an open plan office where actually having Zooms is quite hard um, so and, and, and we're obviously a global business so it's not always a case of meeting someone face to face um, so yes I think we're going to pretty much wait and sort of wait and see trial it initially um, as, um, as David touched on uh, and then probably solidify a sort of policy uh, sort of working through sort of the latter quarter of the year. So for reasons too unlikely to go in, into right now, I have a whiteboard at home, uh, but it's not the same standing there on your own, drawing, drawing on the wall. Not, not quite as creative. Yeah. Certainly not collaborative. Alex, we've, we've spoken a number of times through the, the pandemic, and I, th I think I've got to know your, the, the background of your home office more. I think this is the first time I've seen you in the, in the office office. Is that now a more regular occurrence? It is more regular, and um, we look at life from 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 both sort of parts of the, uh, of the coin. Um, on the one hand, if you're real estate, we manage it. We we have a hundred people, hundred colleagues, are located in three different offices. 
But as well as that, today we're on site building 200,000 square foot of grade A offices, uh, one building in Bristol and another in Leeds. So for us, looking at the future of offices is critical, both for the people, the colleagues I work with, but also for the customers we're trying to attract into the buildings that are coming out the ground today. Um, so I, I find it—I mean, I find it fascinating talking to everybody, and it's clear to me that one size won't fit all, um, and that every business will have a slightly different need and slightly different approach. But, but generically, and wearing a property owner's hat, we're switching from selling a product space in this case to selling a service, and by that I mean we need to provide the sort of space that our customers want to occupy and that means we need to be the best people uh, providing that service and if we can't we're going to struggle in, in, in a market that i think will increasingly focus on on grade a high quality space otherwise why go there and i'll finish my final point is the biggest expense um, therefore we don't just want to put them like chickens into a metaphorical factory we want to make those athletes those amazing creative academics those those awesome salespeople. we want to give them the best environment to succeed and flourish. So we spend a lot of time thinking about how we're going to deliver that best space, both for ourselves and for our customers. And does that change your role? You hinted at it from being a, a more passive landlord into being a more dynamic operator. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the, 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 as somebody said on another call, the expression landlord really is outdated because we're not lords of any land anymore. Um, you were on that call. I remember it well. Um, you know, yeah, we need to be more service orientated, more customer centric, because uh, if we can't, then how are we going to create the sort of environment for for those corporate for them to bring their people into the office? And if, if you look pre pre COVID, I think 2017, a McKinsey study said that half of the tasks we do could be automated back then. I don't know what the number is today. So we need to have uh, uh, the ability to create somewhere that unlocks human potential. Potential, uh, and that's going to be different potential for different people in different roles. And so there's going to be a much more nuanced approach coming out post-COVID as to how we help people, both as an employer and, and as, a, as a, a property owner. Okay, thank you. I want to touch on something that the uh, chief executive of WeWork um, said very recently. And it's sticking with the people theme before we come back to the space. But uh, WeWork CEO told the Wall Street Journal, there's an easy way for companies to spot their most engaged employees. They're the ones who want to come back to the office. He said, and this is a quote, those who are least engaged are very comfortable working from home. I mean, that struck me as an extraordinary thing to say. David, do you think there's any truth in that? I think there actually is a degree of truth in that, uh, if I'm candid. Um, I mean, it was interesting last summer uh, when we were able to return to office for, for, for a period and going into the autumn. What we did find was that, um, generally speaking, it was somewhat more junior staff who were particularly keen to be in the office partners, interestingly, were, were pretty keen to be back. And it was, to some degree, the middle ranks who were perhaps, um, you know, with perhaps more client relationship, more direct contact with clients, and, and perhaps uh, feeling um, uh, uh, more self-sufficient in some of their work streams, who, who were perhaps less uh, dynamic about wanting to, to, to get back into the office. 
Um, and that experience wasn't just my firm, that was the experience in a number of law firms that I've spoken to over that period. Um, I mean, look, law is an apprenticeship profession. You know, young lawyers gain experience by listening in on telephone conversations with the colleagues that they sit near to or share an office with, obviously sitting in on client uh, in-person meetings. And a huge part of their development in the early part of their career is enabled and facilitated through that. And of course, all professional services is a combination of technical skill and um, emotional engagement and intelligence with clients and understanding the client's sector and world view. So, you know, quite a lot of that is pretty difficult to replicate remotely, but it's particularly important in the early years of someone's career as they're building out those technical skills and gaining uh, uh, that insight into their client's world and uh, 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 how you you know, become an accomplished professional advisor. Um, so yes, I, I, I think the engagement piece, um, I would be concerned if I had team members who were not wanting to be back in the office at all. But equally, I come back to this point that this ultimately has to land with individuals and talented individuals who make up your workforce overall. And, you know, one size will not fit all whether that be organizationally, team, or, 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 or you know, individually. So we've, we've got to think of this in a, in, a, in, a, in a fairly nuanced and multifaceted way. Um, it's partly about the development needs of our existing people. It's definitely about talent retention, but it's also about the war for future talent. And we've got to land it well for all of those objectives. And that's not going to be easy to do. Okay, thank you. And Amanda, if, if that happens and uh, it, it will encourage more people back to the office more of the time and coming back round to future space provision, we're still going to have to provide as many offices as we used to, aren't we? Um, I definitely think so. Um, working with a lot of clients at the moment who are coming out of post, well, we're not post-pandemic quite yet, but, you know, the post-pandemic occupation of office space, you're right. Everyone wants to do what, let's say, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays in the office, Monday, Fridays at home. That does not actually allow, you know, any company to reduce the amount of office space that they're taking. You're just not using the space 20 percent of the time. So working out how it's being used, when it's being used is absolutely key. And I think that's where technology absolutely comes in. With flexible office space, um, you know, the key phrase that's been thrown around a little bit in this conversation, one size doesn't fit all. Adaptability is the key moving forward. And I think flex providers have been at the forefront of this. You know, your traditional landlords are now catching up. Everyone's offering some sort of flexibility, not just on lease term, but, you know, even on a type of space being taken. But flex providers have been doing this for years and years. And I think now they realize how to sort of adapt the space to suit whatever the situation is so at the moment the future of work i think will look like things like anything between self-contained floors with a mixture of mixed use you know offices on each floor and then having common facilities amenity space on the ground floor lower ground floor for everyone to use and also lots of drop-in spots 
the office space itself is not going to be just desks and chairs anymore. You know, we, we've had a lot more requests for collaborative spaces within, you know, your own serviced offices, meeting rooms with video conferencing technology is now absolutely key because, you know, if you have 10 people in a meeting, it's probably quite unlikely that all 10 will ever be in one room ever again. Um, so I think the future workspace will be very adaptable. I think, you know, more and more space providers will have to be customer centric, like Alex mentioned previously, um, because everyone's trying to figure out how to move forward and how to work now that working from home is, a, you know, part of your normality. Thank you. And Alex, I was talking to uh, one large op occupier uh, recently who had just made an occupational decision and he said it wasn't, um, you know, COVID related anxiety in the, the post COVID economy and it didn't relate to Brexit, though this was a sector that could be affected by Brexit. It was just working out what his future occupational needs might be and how, how he could commit to a certain size building. He, f he found that a very difficult decision. Is that a, a common conversation that you're having? Yeah, I'd say if we look from 12 months ago to today in the developments we've got, um, I, just to pick up on Amanda's point, I disagree slightly. I think the space requirements have gone down, now whether it's 10% or 20%. But what has happened conversely is that everybody is focused on high quality space where they can attract and retain their, their talent. The space needs to be meet not just health and well-being minimum standards, and um, for that, but it also needs to meet the corporate image of the business that wants to be more sustainable, more responsible, uh, a business looking at itself. So, so we're seeing probably less but better would be the thematic that's coming out if I was describing it big picture. Um, and I'd also comment, we, I think we've lost one potential customer because we didn't have quite enough amenity space. So that I think will be something that will increase its need going forward. And finally, there's a sort of esoteric point here. Um, we're asking ourselves, do we as a property owner know enough about offices to be a long-term owner in this sector in the way that we're not an owner of, of hotels, managed hotels? Um, so there may be offices on long leases, but the direction of travel will be shorter leases and the owners of those office assets will need to be better at servicing the needs of their customers. So, so I think every, every other owner is probably asking a similar question. Uh, as much as the, the customers in those buildings are saying to their owners, right, what can you provide me to make this worthwhile for me to come back? And does that change the skills you bring in or does it pose more fundamental questions about whether that, that's a market you have the expertise to be in? Well, I think the, the two are linked, aren't they? Um, and we have been for some time asking ourselves, District, you know, do, do we think like an American Express or, or whatever the company might be? Do we think about the customer first? Um, and then we, I think we've concluded that we can. That leads on to the second question saying, but are we better to do this ourselves or to not do it? Because we can never catch up with, with the flex service providers that, that, that Amanda mentioned. Okay, thank you. And James, as well as skills, this efficient managing of an office that might be more occupied Tuesday to Thursday than on Mondays and Fridays, that places a greater um, onus on, on the tech to try and come up with solutions and optimise usage. Uh, absolutely. And, and Amanda and Alex have touched on, on, on some, some great points in relation to the 
um, you know, how Flex can enable this new world, because clearly we've been helping Flex providers deliver Flex for, for over a decade, you know, using our platform. But what we've seen over the last 12 months is a huge acceleration in landlords looking to do the same. Um, whether that's as, as, as a, in a hybrid model or as part of their traditional space or reflecting the trend, um, um, which we've just touched on, which is um, if we're to retain uh, this talent uh, and the talent is becoming more of an employee centric world, um, but it's not just about do they come in or not, but actually do they have more choice as to where they go into. So, you know, the world where traditionally everyone commuted into a headquarters in the city might look a lot more, a lot different to that in terms of um, not only coming in partial days of the week, but actually use going to different locations and different spaces for different purposes. So it may be to, to build a client relationship or a meeting one day, and maybe to collaborate with one's team another day, or maybe find some quiet space uh, to, to work away from home uh, on a third day. And I think this this creates the challenge that you know, not only are you know are the enterprise customers uh, who are customers customers um, uh, are referring to, which is they do want to take less traditional headquarter space because of the, 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 lessing, the, the lesser demand to commute into an HQ. But at the same time, they want to have this more flexible world, not only within their traditional HQ building, um, but also in a more distributed sort of hub and spoke um, environment where you know, on a given day, their staff can, can see where is busy, uh, what's the, where's the sort of environment I would like to work at, and how do I, how do I, how do I manage booking availability for that space because clearly one of the challenges here is a customer doesn't want all their staff turning up to, to a given flex space on the same day um, so it also means the policies and the guardrails to to obviously offer that solution um, in that sort of flexible hybrid world um, so that's one of the challenges that we're addressing because you know we're increasingly hearing this um, you know it's this acceleration of flex the, the, the requirement for landlords to be able to deliver flex but also the way to, you know, in this world where, you know, a member of staff is potentially moving between traditional headquarters or regional flex space or different types of flex space, how do you then create a seamless experience? You know, going back to swearing about, you know, our printers, how do you get to a world where opening a door in one site or, or printing something or booking a space or, or, or finding a hot desk? How do all those things work in a seamless way across a multitude of operators and landlords and spaces? Um, you know, it, so so we can give the employees and the staff the world, this more flexible world uh, they're looking for. But at the same time, as as, a, as, a, as an employer, uh, you know, create a manageable, more environmentally friendly, and more efficient uh, sort of you know portfolio of space to to sort of to build the business on. Is that far away? That that seamless solution. Um, not if we can help it. We're, we're moving as quickly as we can. I mean, obviously, we're already helping a lot of landlords deliver this in traditional buildings where. Where space, where their customers are already asking for for less space, um, but also different space um, that's more, you know, purpose towards uh, certain tasks, um, but also to create not only seamless access but touchless access between the different amenities and services and types of space that they want to offer to their staff. So, uh, you know, I, I think you know the demand is definitely there. Um, we recently saw data from a Vedantic's um, uh, analyst survey uh, that shows that occupier demand is definitely ahead of, of landlord supply. Um, so there is a misalignment and a catch-up process to, to get there. Um, and I think the technology will, will, be, will be ready to deliver that. It's then a case of um, you know, br bringing the market along to, to deliver that you know, in terms of what's being demanded. But, um, but certainly, I think you know, within the next six to 12 months, we'll certainly see um, that transition, the most forward-thinking landlords, the most forward-thinking enterprise customers starting to move towards that model.
And David, do you think you'll reduce your office footprint? And if so, by how much? I think we will, um, particularly in London, um, for fairly obvious reasons. We have two other offices in the United Kingdom. Um, and I, I would expect that uh, we, 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 we may well um, tighten our space in, in London. Um, uh, and we have some good space optionality in some of our other UK locations. And, you know, it doesn't really uh, matter. I think that, that there's an interesting point in the hub and spoke piece. Um, I think, uh, um, you know, the head office can be everybody's office um, because you go there to do particular things. Um, and if you have the opportunity to work in other locations, which involve a shorter commute, um, uh, then I can see that model being attractive. Um, having said that, law firms, you know, take long leases, and most law firms pre-pandemic had not made the transition to agile working in the office in terms of breaking the link with the desk. Most law firms still operated on a one-to-one -one desking ratio. So there was already a property dividend to be extracted by um, adopting a hot desking model like much of the rest of professional services, the consultants and, and so forth. Um, so that was already there. But even as high desk occupancy profession like law, which, you know, is perceived to be desk heavy, um, the research shows that, you know, lawyers are at their desk maybe 60 to 65 percent of their working day. Well, if you combine that with two days a week homeworking and you multiply two 60% together, you're down to 35%. So you're straight into your point about how do you retain enough space to allow the main or one of the main reasons for being in the office, which is collaboration, buzz, innovation and development of people. Um, how do you maintain that, which basically is a sort of a surge model you want most people in at roughly the same time versus a distributed model that gives you the better overall property dividend. And we're doing a lot of thinking about how we might achieve, achieve that and, and, and not have to set those two things off in a binary way. And one of the ways you do that is obviously to approach agile as not simply home versus office, but agile in the office. Mm -hmm. And you make sure that your occupation of your offices is itself very smart and very agile. And there's a, a clear role for technology there in terms of censoring that environment, um, the seating positions, the desk positions, the other collaboration spaces, and not having people, you know, throw down their jacket on the back of a chair and sterilize that space for the entire day if they're only sitting there for 30% of the time. And technology can help us with that. It's also a mindset thing. It's also about, you know, um, being much more digital in terms of not requiring a lot of hard copy material around you. Um, it's a long time since uh, many of us had to visit a physical law library. Everything's online in terms of our research and precedence these days. But, you know, people did want the comfort blanket of hard copy documents near them. And, and that will have changed in the pandemic for sure. And actually, there's a huge dividend for law firms just by um, reducing, you know, the linear meter, meterage on, on, on hard copy documentation. And, and in our plans to redevelop our floors in the future, we're getting a significant premium by having less printing devices, less local storage, and less centralized storage. Um, so you put all of that together, and I think most organizations uh, in my sector are probably looking at something in that 
you know, minimum 10 to 20 percent floor plate reduction. But of course, it, 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 it's also linked to where you're going with your headcount. I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, um, having gotten through this 15 months, we've got much, we don't need to have the same amount of swing space that we needed previously because we know what our swing space requirement and optionality is now. And, and obviously it involves calibrating the hybrid home working piece. So we've got the opportunity to reconfigure our spaces to this new world, post-pandemic world, um, with you know less disruption than might have been the case previously. So there are all sorts of wins that are going to come out of this situation. I don't think it's ultimately going to be driven by cost savings around reduced fo property footprint. I think it's going to be driven by becoming a genuinely more agile, productive uh, uh, organization with greater resilience in all kinds of ways. The property dividend will be a bonus along that journey. Thank you. Alex, this is a conundrum, isn't it? As much as you need, um, you know, people more operationally minded, you need data scientists to try and configure space to, to meet these often conflicting uh, needs. When, when you listen to David and to James and to Amanda, there, there aren't really easy answers there, are there? No, there are Think the way to it is there's sort of four principal things that I see happening in the office I work, which is task-based or project work. Secondly, um, business development or innovation. Uh, thirdly, the passive of information, particularly management information. And fourthly, the creation of a corporate culture so people know what the rules and the boundaries are. Uh, and if you look at the first one, the task or project work, that didn't really change. But working in the office or working from home doesn't really change that. Um, I'd say passive information was pretty good, but probably not as good as it would have been. And culture and innovation were much harder to achieve uh, from home. So you look at the office of the future, we may organize it to have some space for focused task-based work, some space for collaboration and innovation, and some space for, for, for collective tasks. And we probably don't need as much of that task-based space but we probably need way more of that collaboration and innovation space. So I think we may change the way we think about this to meet the tasks that we've got and, and ask people who, who want to come in to come in, particularly if they're collaboration or innovation purposed. But if the people are more focused on tasks, then why come in? So the space will be much, much less for them. So I think it's, it's almost turning it on its head. It's not one person equals one desk. It's what are the tasks we need to fill in the office and how do we create an environment that people can meet that? And that will require us to ask our staff regularly, how's it working? What do you want? What works best for you? So we can create tomorrow's workspace rather than to continue yesterday's. Okay. And Amanda, lastly, to, to come to you and just sticking with that, that space theme. Um, if David is talking about perhaps a 10 to 20% reduction in the legal sector and the likes of HSBC are talking about a 20% near-term reduction in their office footprint and 40% medium-term. Can, can that rebalancing between permanent space and flexible space still consume the same office footprint that we've grown used to in recent years? I think the use of office space is changing. So as much as the footprint is being reduced, i.e. number of desks, we're no longer going with the one person, one desk situation. The need for more collaborative space, like what everyone's talking about, or the need for different type of workspaces to suit different work models will increase. 
So, you know, you walk into and, a... And still fill the same volume of space. That that was the point that I was getting at. Not I so much how so. the space is used. I reckon so. I, I reckon the, the space would be used differently, the same volume, so same quality, create more amenity-based spaces, create more collaboration spots for people to get together, more meeting rooms for video conferencing facilities are, are going to be required. And, and And... I think the reason a lot of people at the moment are flocking towards flexible workspace whilst they're deciding what the future office is going to look like long term is because you have all those amenity spaces within the building rather than in your office and, and data collection from that will be key. Moving forward, I think spaces will have to have sensors, you know, as, as David mentioned, to just collect the data to understand how staff are using each of those zones. Then, move, then for a long-term, you know, lease acquisition, you have that data to back what is actually required. And, and I think that will be the future and what will be needed. That would explain how space is being used. Because right now, I think if you ask any occupier, Nobody is 100% certain how they're going to occupy the space in the next five years. It's trial and error year for, for most companies, I reckon. Okay. I'm afraid we're out of time. We didn't even have time to get to rents, to get to what's going to happen to the secondary space. But we will do. We will do in the future. And we'll be back to talk about this again in a few months' time as more companies start returning to the office and we'll continue to monitor it as we go forward. So, David, Alex, James and Amanda, thank you very much for joining us today.